Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you all for taking the time to tune in today to step into your sunshine. I am your host, Rachel Kudron. I am the owner of Kudron's Curiosities Etsy Boutique and RC Copywriting. Today, I have such an inspirational woman with me. I'm going to give her the chance to introduce herself now. Hi, Rachel. I am Rachel CK of Essentially Rachel UK. Um, and I help professional women go from burnout to brilliant using essential oils, empowerment and energy. But I am also a guide to holistic therapists guiding others through a cancer journey. Thank you so much, Rachel, for introducing yourself. Today, we're going to start off with such a powerhouse question. What were some of the defining moments in your life that shaped who you are? That is such a powerhouse question. Um, there are three really powerful moments that come to mind, and they're all kind of interconnected. Um, the f I mean, and I'm sure there are others with three. That these are the three that come to mind. The first one is um, as a youngster, being a competitive swimmer, coming up against, and this is going to sound random, but I promise you, it isn't. Coming up against setback after setback after setback and really honing my tenacious nature. So that's the first one that actually connects to the second, which was a huge time in my life when my son was born and things didn't go to plan. Um, following his birth, we had a really tough time. My, my son didn't sleep and I had crippling anxiety and I had to go about breaking um sort of protocols and rules against what i was being told i should be doing or what i was being handed on a prescription and knowing that just wasn't right for us um and going down a route of really fighting for support for myself that wasn't just about taking um antidepressant medication for example or for him to be medicated at such a young age i'm not anti uh, medication at all it just knew it wasn't right for us and then the third and most powerful experience was when I received my breast cancer diagnosis and again feeling like I was being pushed down a route that just wasn't right for me and needing again for that flexing that muscle that I felt actually I'd been almost gone through life training for that moment of knowing I needed to speak louder and that nobody else really seemed to be questioning what was going on, what was a very typical route for breast cancer patients in the UK and understanding that that just wasn't right for me. Um, and finding what was right and finding the right route for me. So those are the three really massive, actually, the, the latter two certainly massive defining moments in my life that make me somebody that now guides others through a cancer journey. So let's dive into those three major life events. And the first one you mentioned is being a tenacious swimmer and how it affected your tenacity and building, building up over time. Can you go into more details about that? Yeah, sure. So for me, um, I wasn't the best, but I never wanted to be at the back. So there was something, whether it was inbuilt in me or whether this was trained, I had really supportive parents that cheerlead whatever it was we wanted to do. Luckily for them, both me and my brother um, were swimmers. 
So it was always about, yes, it was about fitting in um, and being part of a group where all the kids were doing the same kind of thing, but it, we were competing and I didn't want to lose. It was literally that. So tenacity, I think, comes hand in hand with a competitive spirit. But the thing was, is it wasn't all about competing, winning or losing. It was about getting up at 4 a.m. and training for two hours before school and training for two hours after school for missing out on every social thing that happened at school because you were swimming. And, you know, I think tenacity is also massively connected to commitment and dedication. So for the woman I am today, I always refer back to this. I absolutely learned that if I wanted to get better and if I wanted to ever win, because I was not that kid, it didn't come naturally, really. Swimming did, but the winning didn't. And if I ever wanted to, I just knew that I had to continue to train and to continue to show up. Right. And you can hear how that kind of language is how we show how we work with today with our businesses. And I learned a lot about dedication and commitment. Now, I've also learned since that everything doesn't have to be hard. We don't have to work really, really hard to get the good stuff. But actually, when you're a child and certainly when you're a swimmer, there are no fantastic swimmers winning stuff. They didn't put the hours in. So there is, I'm kind of part part in and part out of that world of where it's all right for things to be easy. Well, you need to hone your craft. You need to understand what you're doing. You know, you need to really be passionate about what you're doing. And I was passionate about that community. That's the very first community I felt part of. I didn't really feel part of one at school. Um, I wasn't the brightest kid either. But swimming taught me a lot, training for something with commitment even when I didn't feel like it now here's the thing part way through that experience I got pulled out of the pool because I had issues with my ears so all the kids that I was in a particular class with all kept moving on they kept training they kept they were they were progressing so when I got back in the water 18 months later after my ears had had, had grommets and stuff in my ears they were way beyond me I was determined I was going to catch them up. I wasn't only going to catch them up. I was going to pass them. And I did. Now, I don't know where that comes from. Are you born with it? Or is it just something in you that drives you? Childhood trauma, childhood experiences. People will be shouting at the podcast that I wasn't prepared to be left behind. Um, and I got in the pool at a younger, so a younger stage, a lower stage now, like that's kind of embarrassing for a young girl. I didn't want to do that. I was going to stay there the least amount of time possible. So I worked my ass off to make sure, are we allowed to say that? Sorry. But I worked to make sure that I caught my peers up. And here's the other thing that happened. I'd worked really hard to get there probably harder than they were doing just doing their day-to-day -day training so when I got back in their lane and I had my sights on the top lane because as you improved you went up the lanes in the class I had my sights on the top lane I want to be in that lane with that girl that's going to the Olympics so I would get in the pool with some of my peers and they would accuse me of cheating and I can remember it clearly, people going, you must have turned around halfway, stop, stop cheating. I'm not cheating. And the only person that needs to know that is God and me. 
Like, it doesn't really matter what you think. You can stay there wasting time using your breath that you get at the end of a pool when you've only got like 30 seconds to breathe before you're off again. You want to waste that time talking to me about cheating? Carry on. I'm taking a breath because I'm going again. You ready? <laughs> and that that's where yes. it started. And I'm only a young teenager at that point, possibly not even a teenager by that point. That was in me. Now that, wherever that comes from, nature or nurture, I don't know, has been part of my personality for my entire life. And boy, has it done me good. And I don't think I would have had that without great support from my parents. Of Sometimes I think I was exasperating because I would be like a dog with a bone. Like, I am going to do this. We had a real shock one time. I took myself off to London for an interview. I hadn't left home. I was really young, hadn't left school. And I took myself off for an interview to the National Youth Theatre in London. We lived way up north. And I think I was 16. And they phoned me and offered me the job. So I said to my parents, I've got a job in London. (laughs) I was just determined to do this. I wanted to design costumes. So that was it. Off I, off I was going and I created a portfolio and went and showed them and they offered me the job. So that part of me and those life experiences um, have absolutely stood me in great stead for being, you know, running my own business and supporting other women and helping them through really tough, getting myself through really tough times and helping them through tough times as well. Wow. I feel inspired just listening to all of that. And I, you know, when you get this fire burning, like in the base of your stomach and you're just like, yes, let's do it. That's how I feel right now. Like right after I hear your story and I can tell that I'm certain that your clients and the people that you work with feel exactly the same way because you so effortlessly explain tenacity and you incite the desire to be tenacious in other people. And it's just incredible to see and to hear and I know that all of our listeners they're just going to listen to the first part and be like yes I'm ready to take on the whole day the whole month (laughs) the whole year and so that is incredible Rachel that I think for you I can just see it oozing out of you so I'm going to say it's internal and it's just part of who you are as a person and you know that is the type of characteristic characteristic characteristics and personality that I want to be part of because you motivate me to take on that next step in my life or the next step in my business and I know that when people listen they're going to feel exactly the same way to kind of change topics and kind of pivot in a little slightly different direction and you're talking about being tenacious and that you know once you set your eyes on something that last lane or that you wanted to go through and um, your crippling anxiety after your son was born or to um, your diagnosis of cancer, you wanted it to be different. You wanted a different path for you and you had the tenacity to say, no, I'm going to do it this way. And I would really like to talk about both of those experiences because that is also something I can very much relate to is deciding that this is not the path for me anymore. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get myself going down a different lane. And so when you talk about your son and that the fact that he didn't sleep, I feel like that's a fact that many, many mothers can relate to. I mean, we, we know what that's like. Now, some mothers, I'm very jealous of those when they have their 
their children that sleep after two or three months or sometimes like six weeks and they're sleeping for six or seven hours. I just think, my God, you are one lucky parent. I'm just so envious. And for me, that didn't happen. My daughter didn't sleep long periods of time until she was at least 13 months old. And I know I know many others that have had much longer experiences with their children. And perhaps yours was similar. And uh, can you tell us more about that and how the crippling anxiety kind of manifested? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think linking it to the tenaciousness, we are sure tenacious as mothers. Now, we might kind of not feel we have that in us for ourselves and we leave it dormant. We leave it buried. There's a lot to be said about that being encouraged in others, right? That it's there, it's dormant, but with the encouragement of others. So whether this is with children or whether this with, you know, other people around us, that absolutely that flame can be fanned and it is incredible what people achieve when they are given the possibility that they can do things but when you come to mothers and fathers but mothers we're women together right and their children that's when it comes into its own the the, the tenacity that maybe most women didn't even know they had the thing for me was that there were, there were two sides to the story. One was that Harrison was born in a particular way that strained um, his digestive system that meant his feeding was very uncomfortable for him. It took me a long time to find that out. The, the general route, there was nobody that was prepared to look at anything other than he's crying, it's fine, babies cry. Or, which your mother's instinct, and I'm going to talk about instinct as well and that intuition about you, but actually it only often comes into play for many women with their children. And then we realise we've got an intuition and we have this sense. Um, and boy, do children help us really hone that. So he actually didn't sleep till he was three and a half. And when I say didn't sleep, I mean didn't sleep. Did, like, didn't sleep. Now we know, and what I know now is that sleep actually helps you function. We know it helps us like behave in a particular way. It affects your mood, but it also affects your levels of anxiety and how you cope with things. It affects how your it affects your cognitive function. It affects how you think. As a mum, my husband worked away. My parents came to stay. They were again amazing and stayed as many times as they could, as long as they could. At some point, my husband had to go back to work. He worked away. And at some point, my parents needed to return home. They don't live near us. They had to come stay for a few nights when they came. And everybody was amazing. I had an incredible support system. But at some point, that support system, you know, with any new mums, there's a point when you have to go it alone. The times when I was going it alone, I was sat in a dark room rocking in a corner, not sure I should have care of this child. I was in a very, very dark place. I had been a, uh, I'd, you know, helped run a million, multi-million pound dollar business. I used to fly around the world as a career, you know, on my own. I was a very, very capable woman. In those moments, I was not capable even of getting dressed. I was not capable of even leaving the room sometimes. I wasn't capable of leaving the house a lot. I had things going on in my head I didn't recognize. I was very low, but I was great at masking. Um, and I was not coping. 
at all. Now, if you put somebody through sleep deprivation, they're not going to cope very well anyway for, for extended periods of time. But I didn't only have that. I had all of the physical responses of anxiety, which were I was nauseous. I was dizzy. I was having panic attacks that were crippling. I was in the bathroom a lot because my digestive system couldn't cope with the levels of stress in my body. And in addition to that, I have a small baby that can't fend with for themselves. It was terrifying. It was terrifying for me as a new mum. And I honestly thought we'd made a terrible, terrible mistake. We tried very hard to have our son. He was God-given. He was um, a miracle baby. You know, we were told we'd never have children. And I wondered what on earth had I done to me and my amazing husband, Mark, um, because I didn't know what to do. I literally, for the first time in my life, didn't know what to do. Now, the tenacity fought its way through all of this to knowing that when I finally got myself together enough to ask for help, there wasn't any. He, he couldn't feed. Um, I had to cope with nipple shields and all sorts of things. We're into breastfeeding now. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. He physically couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It was all the things that just added to all of the stress. And it led to one point where I went to this centre where um, there were help. There was help for mums and babies. And I left him in the car seat on the desk and just said, if you can't offer me, the, I wanted breastfeeding help. We've got a course that starts in 12 weeks. I literally put him on the desk in his car seat and stepped back and said, I'm going to have to go. Like, it was a desperate situation. And they realised they couldn't let me out the door because I was heading out the door without him. You know, I mean, how horrendous is this? But that's where I'd got to. My mental state wasn't great. The tenacity fought through to go, OK. And my mum was amazing. My mum was researching colic, reflux, how to hold your baby that has colic. And she was sending me all, like she was feeding me from miles away, all of this stuff. And then coming to visit and showing me what she'd learned. She's another powerhouse. Together as a family, we managed to get through all of this. It still gets me now. And at that point, I knew that I had to find all the natural resources that I could find, all of the natural things. I wasn't prepared to be medicated. I knew actually that could completely finish me off. Um, and I wasn't prepared for my child to be medicated either. We found all the natural resources, cranial sacral um, therapy for my son that helped him with his digestive system, natural support for me with my anxiety, um, and enter stage right, the essential oils that we started using that brought me down off the ceiling. And the very first night we ever used them, I cried all night, not because I was anxious, or because he was crying, I cried all night because he was asleep. And that changed my life for the rest of my life. It changed my life because I finished my 20 year career in the fashion industry and as a design director of a business that I'd grown with a lovely man that I'd built it with. And I knew I had to find my exit route and help other mums because I wasn't prepared for anyone else to be in the situation that I'd been in. And I wasn't prepared for any other mum to feel the way that I'd felt. And my vow at that point was, I am going to work supporting other mums and families with natural solutions, but I am always going to look that mum in the eye and work mum first. Because not one person in that entire time 
had ever looked at me and asked me how I was. And yes, it was important for Harrison to get support for his tummy. He was, um, he couldn't have dairy, he couldn't have milk. We got him onto goat's milk. We got him onto food as soon as we possibly could, you know, as a family together. Um, but it was very hard for anyone else when there's a very young baby involved. At one point, Harrison was screaming so hard he passed out in my arms. Thank goodness my mum was here, just me and her alone one night. He passed out in my arms. I thought I'd lost him. I thought he died in my arms and she was on the phone to the ambulance and I am screaming. And it was a very desperate situation. But we got through it together, number one. And the other thing was that all of the things that I then found that were never offered to me, I then found using natural support, really powerful, effective natural support. And I think out of all of it was, other than my immediate family, not one person asked me how I was. And that was really hard. And it's the tenacious nature that comes out that is, I'm not prepared to just take this and just accept what you're telling me. And that lack of acceptance of just being funneled down a path of, well, there's going to be a breastfeeding course coming up and no, your child can be medicated. It's fine at that age. No, it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't all right. And it wasn't all right for me to be only offered antidepressants. I wasn't depressed. I was desperate. And I was sleep deprived and I had panic attacks and I was anxious and I was agoraphobic. I wasn't depressed. In fact, I was the opposite. I was enraged and I knew there was another way. Wow. I, I have all the feelings in my body and seeing you relay the story to me, I it sends me back to when my daughter was first born and when I see these new mothers and just like struggling so much with all the things and um and you're right even when people ask after you have a baby it's all centered around the baby it's not really centered around the care of the mother or does the mother need help or does the mother need support and I can remember one specific time and me living in France I didn't have any of my family when my daughter was born my husband went back to work a week after she was born. The only people in the area that I knew were either the wives or girlfriends of my husband's brother and his mother and his dad. And that's all. And I can remember asking his mother to come over. And she's a wonderful woman and she's very supportive. But this particular event really changed my decision to reach for help and I remember asking her if she could come over more often because I was feeling so overwhelmed uh, by my daughter and not sleeping and I was also breastfeeding and I was up all hours of the night I also had really bad anxiety and so I asked her to come over and she said yes but the next thing she said was but I can't be there every day and I know that my mother-in-law meant the best I know that if worse came to worse she would be here and she would have been there but just that sentence made it where 
I was like, it's not safe. It's not safe to ask for help because then it's conditioned. How long can I, can you stay? How long can you be there? And uh, I can feel my feelings come up into my throat because I remember that day so clearly where I was just like, what am I going to do? And um, I I was completely without a, su- a support system because my why my husband I mean he was here and he did help but you know, after he got off of work and it, he was up in the middle of the night many times just like I was but during the day it was all me uh, all day and why my mother-in-law did help and she was there when I asked her mostly and um, there was still that was it there was nobody else to help me I didn't have any friends here I didn't have my mother and that was a really really dark time because I just before she was born I had I was experiencing a really for me a severe depression and when she was born she gave me life and purpose again and I was happy but I was also overwhelmed because I didn't know what to do and I as well as you I was told you know maybe you should talk to somebody about your anxiety at the hospital but it was as if it was like this is abnormal for you to be this anxious about um, your child. And my, my daughter actually contracted E. coli from the hospital that she was born at a month after she was born. And she was rehospitalized and given you know, round-the-clock antibiotics with IVs at only a month old. And I'm in a situation where I don't speak the language. I don't understand the system. I They try to tell me my husband can't stay. I like fall apart completely. And there was just so many things that happened. And I I could cry when my mom, I, I just like fell apart when my mom arrived at a month when my daughter was a month old, uh, because I was like, finally, I have somebody here. And I could really relate to those parts of your story of like that you felt many times alone and that you were so thankful that your mother was there and to give you the support that you needed. And your story, I mean, I want you to know that you're not alone. And I'm sure that you know this now, that there's many women that have experienced a similar thing as you. And there's more families to come that will experience the same thing. And that I'm so grateful, I find that you're part of, you know, you're part of my life and part of this podcast is that you're opening the doors to talk about, uh, you know, the hardships that mothers face, the the children that don't sleep and the op- and the other options for them, because they wanted to put me on anti-anxiety medication as well. I was like, no, we're not doing that. And for me, it's an, I would like to delve more into that particular part of it is that I'm not a person and I don't want people listening to think that I'm against antibiotics or think that I'm against antidepressants or think that I'm against medications because I am not. They absolutely hold a place and a purpose. Purpose. And there are definite people that need to be on them. 
and they do help hundreds of thousands. Yet for me, I knew that they weren't right for me. And I wanted to know that there were answers. And for all of those of you listening, if you're in that place, then Rachel is the person for you. She can provide those answers and the training and the resources that you need to find those answers. And can you tell me about the things that you found? For me as well, and I absolutely second what you've just said, for some people um, and for some women, for some mums, the medication that they are offered is absolutely the right thing for them and it's what they need. I just knew it wasn't the right thing for me. Um, that, that I actually wasn't being heard. Well, I wasn't being seen. I wasn't being heard. And I knew I wasn't being heard because what was being offered didn't match up with what I was trying to explain was what was going on and how I felt. Um so for me, we um, we started what was a, a life changing lifestyle changing process of getting rid of all the chemicals in our home. Um, I discovered essential oils and these are therapeutic grade essential oils that, yes, they so we started obviously with sleep and the knock on effect was that the anxiety wasn't anything like it had been before and then i as i started to learn more i started to learn that actually well, being exposed to chemicals in your home for cleaning and and self care products i used to travel around the world i would spend hours in airports with all of the all of the all of the things that made me smell nice and my home smell nice my house had a plug in in every room and i had no idea of the dangers of them but also of how they can exacerbate your you know they affect the endocrine system they affect your hormones my hormones were far from balanced my my behavior was far from balanced my thought processes all impacted so of the things that I wanted to empower myself with and the knowledge I was empowered with was I'm going to do as much as I can for me so I started this process of getting everything out of my home and I used oils instead we use oils as our primary source of healthcare. if if we have anything going on with us the first port of call is the oils if that doesn't quite do the thing then maybe we were going to go see a doctor and then we'll have the medication we might need but our first port of call generally means we don't need anything but that went into i became the queen of green cleaning i was hosting green cleaning workshops in my home every week online every week to help other Mums understand not just supporting their family's emotions and their mental health, but also understanding, well, you mean I can do something about it? I I can actually do something that gets rid of all of this stuff? Yeah, we just swap. And I started helping mums. And I'm saying mums because it was always mums. I've never had a dad come to me and ask me to teach him about green cleaning. I haven't. So I'm just I'm just going with that. Um, Dads have such a, a major role as well of course they do but it was the mums that were coming to me wanting to know why Harrison wasn't continually ill anymore from nursery wow we've got these oils that was literally how every conversation started and there were so many mums I was like well actually come around Saturday morning there's a few of you let's just sit down have a conversation and I would share about how these oils and well, I'm going to do a workshop, an introduction to oils, and then I'm going to do a workshop on green cleaning. Then I'm going to do a workshop on how you can switch things up there in your beauty regime. And I was doing that and I was absolutely loving it. I never thought for a minute I would leave my career flying around the world in the fashion industry. This literally didn't just call me, it grabbed me, got hold of me and went, this is what you need to be doing. Um, And I was, and I did that for a number of years. 
and then um, it, you know it, it supported everything. Harrison's emotions starting school, being able to really support him on a deeper level. He's a very very fabulous, very sensitive little boy. Um, helping us with lots of things, physically, emotionally. Um, and then I go away for a weekend, fully enough, with the girls that used to be on my design team. So who we all worked together and I left, but we still were together and still saw each other. We went away for a weekend and a really, really very good friend of mine, I was sharing a room with her. And I said to her, I have this lump. And she's like, okay. And one of our friends that was staying with us was already going through breast cancer treatment. She'd come away for the first time where she was gonna take her wig off and we would see her without her hair. And it was a really emotionally charged weekend. But at the, on the same weekend, I turned to my amazing friend and said, I don't know if I'm imagining it, would you? We were very close friends. So this was something, you know, I didn't know what else. I thought if I asked Mark, he would freak out and I didn't want him to I didn't want to cause a load of fuss if it wasn't anything and you know so it was like it's nothing but would you just like am I imagining this is this something you know she's and she said yeah I can feel it too and by that point I'd been all ignoring these symptoms for a little while there was a lump in the side of my left breast um and it was coming and going with an aching and a bit of a pain, but with a deep aching with my period. So it was coming and going with my cycle. Um, and I'd heard many times, if it hurts, it's not cancer. And that isn't true because I went and got it checked out. I went through the incredible system in the UK for checking all of these things that is really fast. It's done in a day. It can completely sideswipe you. And you know, sat in those waiting rooms, somebody here is going to get the diagnosis. And it was me. Um, and on the day when we, I went to the hospital, another unsuspecting friend, we were going to go out for a walk. And we said, well, on the way, I'll go do this appointment. Then we'll go out for a walk. You're right to come with me while I go. Yeah, of course. Another of my friends whose life changed again forever that day because she was sat with me when they they did the check and they just sat me down. And she was in the room with me and they said, we're going to clarify this in a week's time. But yes, we've we very firmly believe you have breast cancer. And my world fell apart and I wasn't sure how I was even going to eat. All I knew is it was I was suffocating and I needed to get the hell out of that room. I couldn't hear anything else they said. I was just literally get me out of the room. And I went out the front. There were steps down into this um, clinic that is, you know, is an amazing place. Um, and I collapsed on the steps. And I had five year old son. Um, and it was almost a moment, you know, you hear people having these major moments in their lives and their life flashes before their eyes. I had no life in front of my eyes from that point. It took a long time for that vision of anything happening, even tomorrow. What I saw was the life that I had. And that it had just blown apart. What happened next was my tenacious streak came out to play. Because as you get taken along this uh, very set system that there is, the NHS are amazing, the system is amazing, part of it is why I'm still here today. But what happened was that I also knew that I was being herded and I didn't like that feeling. I was being herded down a route 
that I, of course, I didn't want to go, but I was also being herded down a route where there were only very singular, you were, it wasn't even that there were any choices. It was, this is what's going to happen next. And that didn't feel right to me. My inner guidance system, my intuition, your whole body's, you know, your whole body and mind are inflamed anyway when you receive something like this diagnosis. But there was something deep, deep, deep inside of me going, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. And I did actually say to them, they started to talk about chemotherapy and surgery and all of this. And I can remember saying, you just need to stop. Am I going to massively, with the type of cancer that I have and from what you understand about it and from your experience, if I just go away for a moment, well, actually longer than a moment, I need to just go like away. I want to book myself and my family on a plane. We need to leave. Like I le- need to leave the situation to calm down, allow myself to think, is that going to massively impact my survival rate? And they said, actually, no. And that was that was an, an incredible blessing. And I've had so many in my life since, but I did because on a plane and we I literally just needed to escape with my husband and my son and sit with all of the books. I had a suitcase full of books to try and figure out how am I going to do this? What are my choices and power choices or something I try and instill in women every day? Because. I wasn't sure that going it completely or naturally or going this just only down the medical route was right. Now, what the what I hadn't appreciated was the world that I lived in, let's call it the green camp, the girl, the world that I lived in were very anti medical intervention. And the medical camp that as you go to appointment after appointment after appointment were completely anti anything natural. And there is a path down the middle called integrative, an integrated, an integrative route. There was nobody I knew that was doing this. There was nobody I knew at that time that had done this. I had to fight. I'm not part of the FU cancer crew where we're fighting what's going on in our body at all. I believe that we love our bodies and we love our bodies well. And the, the kind of language that some, certain people use that they find empowering I find disconnects you from your body. That's not how I took my path. It's not how I support other women down this path either. But I needed to fight both systems. I needed to fight in order for me to be able to put together the way that I was going to support myself and research deeply, sometimes with a thesaurus and a dictionary and a highlighter and a pen, because some of the books I was reading were so beyond my what I thought was my capability, I didn't let that be me. And that's where the tenacity comes in, I guess, of knowing I have to go with my gut instinct, but it's not just laid out for me. I have to fight, I had to fight so many times. The very first oncologist I sat with, um, when I said to him, actually, my sister-in-law came to that appointment with me and I was, you know, putting the headlights and I can remember we'd had conversations before we went in of what I would need to know. I'll go and have this appointment. I'm not decided if I'm having chemotherapy or not. My first instinct was hell no. Um, and I her asking the question that we'd said we need to ask is how can I? So I already had an, an inkling as to how I can support myself through this if I do this. From an oncologist perspective, we wanted to know. How can I support myself through this? And he said, there is nothing that you can do to help this situation. 
that one sentence fueled and still fuels me every day of my life ever since because I was horrified at the fact that he would say that to me and I was horrified at how many other of the hundreds of women that were out in these appointment rooms that they were saying that to there is nothing more disempowering than that sentence that there is nothing that you could he wagged he wagged his finger almost like a girlfriend moment there is nothing that you could possibly do about this situation and I fired him I literally got up walked out of the room said I'm never going in a room with that man and he'd also said you can go eat and drink what you want like go drink vodka and he was Russian go eat go eat donuts and drink vodka like that's the antithesis of what we want to do if we're supporting ourselves through trauma through major health crisis and if we're going to be supporting ourselves through chemo so that was another defining moment a the diagnosis and b somebody saying there's nothing that you can do yeah no no so i choose my days now supporting yes women that are going through a diagnosis that are interested in supporting themselves naturally or knowing what they can do but actually, the majority of the work I do now is supporting holistic therapists, wellness advocates in guiding other women through this. Because the more of those women that learn, you think about how many women coming through their door or that are in their world that have a diagnosis, the impact is way bigger on empowering women that have a cancer diagnosis. And nobody dare say, they dare say to them, there's nothing they can do. Like, are you kidding me? And I wake up with that fire in my belly every day. I can feel it. I can feel it. It's like this is that sentence was the foundation towards empowering others for your entire life. Yeah. And I find that incredible. And I also find it just as incredulous that the doctor actually said that there is nothing that you can do. There's always something that you can do. I'm I'm reading a book and I don't know if you've ever read it it's called um oh I just went blank completely anyway I'll think about it in a second and it talks about how this doctor where a lot of times you go through diagnoses and it's specific to trauma the book that I'm writing reading and it talks about how doctors like to just give you pills or like to give you just um, diagnosis and that you need to go through the chemotherapy or this is the process and this is what you have to do. And it takes you away from yourself. It takes you, it like gives all of the power to the people at hand, to the doctors at hand or whatever, and leaves you feeling totally helpless and that you're incapable of doing anything on your own. And one of the things that he talks about is that for holistic healing is that you have to give the power to the person. Yeah, and because it's really, really dangerous otherwise. It's really dangerous otherwise. It's really dangerous. You yeah, start so- to reduce that flame of hope that somebody has in them when you're empowered and when you're actually taking those actions yourself and doing them yourself. Even if it was a placebo, worst case scenario, it's a placebo. What a fantastic placebo, because it keeps that flame of hope alive. And that in itself is life-saving. Yes, I so much agree with that. And while for me, I haven't had such an intensive situation in my life, 
yet I can relate to that because when in my 20s, I actually, let's go back a little bit further. While I was in university, college, I would go through days all of a sudden that I would get exhausted like unfeasibly exhausted. We don't know, I don't know why I would be so tired. I could just sleep the entire day and then sleep the whole night. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why am I so tired? But then I would get up and I'd feel fine. And then all these days would just kind of come and go that I don't know what they were. And then in my twenties, I had a life-changing experience uh, within my family that it was extremely traumatic. and. I developed physical pain from the experience and I had physical pelvic pain. I developed all kinds of um, like arthritis, why can't I speak? Arthritis pain um, in my hands and in my joints. And it took me a long time to learn about what was happening with my body. I also at one point started to put on all this weight and I got sick for an extremely long amount of time. And the doctor told me that we were going to go in and do an x-ray because it was weird that I was reoccurringly getting sick. They were giving me things that were for bacterial infections. We were waiting out for viral infections, yet it was just continuing. And When they did the x-ray, they found nodules on my thyroid and that it was all of a sudden the kind of full picture that I had hypothyroidism. And he, of course, he gives me levothyroxine to manage uh, my thyroid levels. And throughout all of these doctors, every time they would tell me this sentence, well, you're really young to have these symptoms. And listening to your story, I realized that I am tenacious too, because I would say something back like, okay, but that doesn't change the the situation. Okay, I'm young, but I still have all this pain. I still have all these experiences and what can we do about it? And I went to doctor, from doctor to doctor, specialist to specialist, and they would just keep prescribing me different things. And in at about 25, Throughout the day, I was on 22 different prescription meds where I had to take 22 pills a day. And I was 25 and I had, I just woke up one day and I said, I'm done. I'm finished. Like, and I, to all of our viewers and listeners, I do not encourage that this is your path. I'm just explaining what was my path. And I do think that you should normally go through the most safe way of asking your doctor and taking yourself off of medication slowly. But for me, that just wasn't going to work. And I quite literally stopped all of my 22 pills overnight because I couldn't, I, I just couldn't, all I could see in the future of my life was this person that was taking more and more pills as the years passed by more and more pain. And yet taking all these pills didn't fix my pain. Sometimes it mitigated my pain and sometimes it didn't yet. I was still on all of these things. And so I took myself off. I went to my aunt who was very much into herbal supplements and natural healing. And I said, okay, I have these things. I need you to tell me what do I need to take? Because 
I am willing to, and this isn't smart either listeners, but this is what I did. I'm willing to take whatever is necessary that you tell me and you have like proof that this will help. And with my situation, rather than being on any prescriptions. And she gave me this massive list. And one in particular was kelp. And kelp was to help with my thyroid. I said, okay, let's do this because that sounded much better than doing levothyroxine. And I will never forget this appointment. And it just came into my mind when you were speaking, Rachel, and your doctor said, there's nothing that you can do about it. I went into my appointment. I was very honest and direct with the doctor. And I said, I have stopped taking levothyroxine. I am now taking kelp. The next sentence out of his mouth was, oh, it's probably better for you because it puts, it actually puts iodine back into your body. My mind was blown. I was just like, what? What? Did that, did the doctor just say that to me? We have thousands, hundreds of thousands of women in our world that are suffering from thyroid issues, from hyperthyroidism, hyperthyroidism, and yet well, the information isn't offered. Yeah, the yes. information isn't being offered. My brother said something really funny um, about that particular situation. And he said, he said something like, don't go into a Chinese restaurant and ask for an Italian meal. Because the doctors are trained for the medical part of what's going to help you. They're trained for the medical part. They're not trained for the natural part. You go somewhere else for that. And like that, that saying stayed with me. Of, you know what? You're absolutely right. I had too high expectations of him. We have too high expectations of them that if you want to do both, which which I did, I did have chemotherapy, but I supported myself naturally through all of it. I handed back so many of those bags of pills that they were giving everybody else. Like I didn't use them. Hey, you can have them back. I used my natural support then for everything else that I needed. Well, you're absolutely right. They know, they know, but they can't say that because actually that's not their job. So I had to really come around to understanding that and that saying really helped. But when I used to go in and they'd say, here she is, because I look fantastic. I was bald, but I look good and I was glowing and my skin looked amazing. And I didn't look like anyone else, but I didn't realize how different my journey had been until another defining moment. But I would go in and, and they'd be like, here she is. And I'd say, yeah, here I am. How are you doing? I'm great. Had a bit of a down day after the steroids because the steroids are like dropping you off the edge of a cliff. Nobody tells you that. But after that, I'd balanced out after the steroid drop. I've been great. Do you want to know what I'm doing? No. Every single time, everyone that I saw on my medical team, everyone would be like, wow. And I'd say, yes, would you like to know what I'm doing? No, don't tell me. No, I don't want to know. Let's just have a look at the paperwork. Um, right at the end of my treatment, I got a bit of a cough and they wanted me in and the nurses were lovely. And then there was a bit of a moment, you know, when you get on a plane and the um, air stewardesses start to buckle in and you know you're in for a bumpy ride. This was similar to nurses in this ward. They were all having a bit of a panic. And I called on over and I said, literally, you're, you're frightening me. What's going on? And she said, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. We're just looking for your paperwork from before. And I said, well, before when? What paperwork are you looking for? From your previous stays. Because was, I was staying overnight. They didn't like you having any kind of a cough or an infection or anything like that. So they were keeping me overnight. It was totally unnecessary. I was like, oh, for God's sake. Anyway, um, 
from your previous stays? And I said, well, there won't be any. I've never been before. And this nurse said, I'm sorry. She did a double take at me. She said, what do you mean you've not been before? You've had you've had seven rounds of chemotherapy. What do you mean you've not been before? So I've never needed to come into hospital before. I've never needed to stay over. So she called off the search and all of those nurses, I think there were seven or eight of them, came around my bed saying, you've never been before. Oh, have you been under another hospital? No. This was the moment when I realised that what I'd been doing was very different and my experience had been so different from anyone else's. But the only difference between me and everybody else was what I'd been doing to support myself. And they were absolutely gobsmacked. They wanted to know what I'd been doing. They were sat on my bed and I got out. Well, there's this bottle, there, there are these oils. <laughs> and here they were, because I took them with me in my overnight bag because they helped me with my anxiety. They helped me sleep. They helped me with so many emotional, the whole emotional roller coaster when you have a five-year-old and your husband works away and you're going through cancer treatment. Well, they also help with lots of other things. And they really wanted to know, they were really interested. In fact, some of them became my clients. But that aside, that was the moment when I realized that supporting my mind, body and soul with essential oils, with supplements, with oxygen therapy, with a keto approach to nutrition, which isn't right for everybody, that was right for me. Um, fasting, fasting improves the efficacy of chemotherapy. Who knew? And nobody will know because unless you go start reading about this and researching about it, um, all of these things, there were seven main things. And kind of from that moment on, I started, I'd been sharing my story on my, my social media. I wanted other women to see how this goes, I guess, to help people understand, raise awareness for breast cancer. And at that point, I didn't know what my outcome was going to be. I had a real plan of what my outcome was going to be. And I was going to do everything in my power to use gold standard from everybody yes i'll have the gold standard from the medical team thank you very much i'm also going to do gold standard and you don't have the right to tell me that it's dangerous because it wasn't oxygen therapy improves the effect of chemotherapy alongside fasting they all work together there's nothing dangerous about breathing more oxygen but people will tell you that it is when it isn't and what i like to really raise the awareness of is all of those holistic therapists that can hold the hand of a woman going through a cancer diagnosis can be life-saving in their ability to hold their hand and be a safe space for them to cry and talk because let me tell you something most women going through this they're not crying to their five-year-old or their husband or their parents they're not they're holding it all in and that's even more damaging for their recovery so I provide a place, a safe space for women, whether they're going through this themselves or whether they support other women or whether they're scared of supporting other women through cancer. I empower women to do this for the other women in their community. And nobody was more surprised than my oncologist and my entire medical team when they saw the scan right at the end. And they were like, oh, it's gone. Okay, is that unusual? Well, yes. Do you wanna know what I've been doing? No. That's another really defining moment in my life, the, the things that I was doing 
meant that cancer treatment, when you want to do treatment, accept treatment, medical treatment, there is another way. There is another way. It doesn't have to be the way that is laid out for you. There is another way. And there's another way for your clients, if that's for you. There is another way for you to support the women in your community of, through this. And on the other side, there are some incredible, incredible moments. You get a certain perspective on life after you've gone through something like this. And you can be part of that for the women in your community if you allow them to and support them in feeling empowered. You can feel empowered together. Rachel, you are doing exactly what you're meant to do in your life. I can feel your passion. I can feel your emotions. And I can feel that this is the path that you're meant to be down. And empowering these women, uplifting them, lending them your ear, your hands. And I know that someone who will be listening to this will have gone through the same experience or will be going at some point in their future through the same experience and that your voice and the options that you are providing are changing lives. It, it, yeah, it is. It is. I could say I hope so, but I know of the women that I've worked with since over the last four years, it is. And it's it's changing the lives of the women that have had a diagnosis, but it's also changing the lives of the women that support others that previously just didn't feel confident enough and might have turned them away. And, you know, I never really sat in the why me when I had my diagnosis. I didn't have time. I didn't sit in the why me. I knew that wasn't a healthy space to be. But since coming out the other side and having that all clear, what I sat in more was the why me, why I was saved, if you like. Uh, the, the survivorship is a whole other ball game and it's another roller coaster and it's quite a tricky place to navigate. But the why me, I have so many photographs on my phone of women that are no longer here of women that didn't make it, of women that were on the path at a similar time to me. There was a, there's a day, last defining moment, when I, I used to be a surfer. I was a swimmer. I naturally migrated into surfing. I loved it. I traveled around the world with my board and it was a big part of my life. It was, it was, you know, fabulous. And then after my treatment, I kind of realized I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily have the mobility that I needed and, and the energy that I needed. And I had a small child, couldn't leave him on the beach. I wasn't going to be surfing. Paddleboarding was going to be for me because I could sit him on the board, right? My husband isn't crazy about water sports, but paddleboarding was for me. And I wanted my own paddleboard and I, and I waited and waited. And it was one of the big things that helped me recover from surgery because I needed to use my arms and I needed my strength to haul myself up and all of that. And I got my board, I ordered the board and I had it in the back garden and I pumped it up and I was chuffed to bits. You know, it was a real defining moment in my recovery of being that well that I was going to take this paddleboard out and I was going to take it on holiday and it was going to be amazing. And it has been. But on that day, I learned on that day that the ladies that were on either side of me having chemo every time, we were there every Friday, we were the longest ones. We started Friday morning, we finished late Friday night. Um, and they were on either side of me. We were there together for a number of weeks and we supported and talked to each other. Um, 
Margaret and Lucy, that on the day that I was stood in my Hope t-shirt with my paddleboard and I took a picture and I, that, that selfie reminds me of this every time I see it, that I then came into the house, picked up my phone like you do and I looked at Facebook and I saw two things, that both, both of those ladies were no longer with us and they both died on the same day. And here was me celebrating in the garden with my paddleboard. Um, coming out the other side can be very difficult. And the why of why you, you're here when you get to be stood on a paddleboard and be planning a holiday with your family when their families are grieving and they're not here anymore, that also fuels me every day. Because there has to be a reason I was shown this path and gifted this path. And there has to be a reason why I had a tenacious bone in my body there has to be a reason my son had the struggles he had that led me into that natural lifestyle that helped me survive. And there had to be a reason. And the why for me, when people ask you about what your why is, is simply is my paddleboard that has Margaret and Lucy tattooed on that board. They are their names. My board is called Margaret Lucy. And every time I get to get on the water and go out with my family or just get the board in the water myself, it reminds me that I was gifted every single day that I have now. And the best way that I can use that is to help guide other women in being well and staying well and helping those that have chosen a life of supporting other women in their wellness is giving them the confidence and the support and the empowerment they need to guide other women that have had a major health crisis. You have inspired me so much and I, I feel so moved by your by your story and you make me question things about myself and you remind me of some of the decisions I have made in relation to the same type of choices, going with alternative routes or holistic healing. And I know that there's so many that will listen to this and be inspired. And I also want you to know that while your focus is on cancer patients and the experience that you have personally had, there's also going to be people like myself that haven't had that diagnosis, but can really relate to the story of that so many doctors tried to give me different things. So many people tried to get me to do different things, but the only way that I was healed was through holistic choices and through, um, for me, you mentioned keto was the right decision for you. For me, being vegan is the right decision for me. And it has drastically impacted my life. And now I'm also an essential oil user. I use them every day and I love them. And there's just it for me what's so core about this conversation and so important for people to hear is that there's other choices there's alternative holistic options for people no matter what stage that you're in in your diagnosis no matter how many pills that you've been taking previously in your life no matter what situation you're going through there's always something that you can do to take hold of your health and to take hold of your future and to take hold of the person that you want to become after yeah, empowered choices. That's it. Because you may still choose what somebody's offering you. It's making empowered choices and knowing 
that there are there are options find out about them go down the rabbit holes and do your research and then make the empowered choice my choice was still chemo people really question that still today but that was my choice i didn't want to look my son and my husband in the eye if it hadn't worked and say i wish i'd done it and it was too late i made the empowered choice of understanding how chemotherapy works in the body and understanding what those side effects might be and having everything in my power and my research and everything that I had around me as natural solutions that was going to support me down that path. And it did. Yes. Yes. Empowered choices. choices. I think that is something that we're going to take forward for all the listeners. And for me, the, the feeling of being empowered, empowered enough to say, this is my choice, stand beside it and say, I have chosen this yeah. and this is the path that I want to go down because there is no greater power than that to know that you're educated, you understand what's happening and say, this is my choice and I'm going to do it. Yeah. And you're right. And it does. The whole conversation that you and I have had relates to, for me, it's as much supporting women in that avoiding, you know, going from burnout to brilliance, that part of the work that I do is to help women not to end up where I ended up, you know, to understand all of the ways they can work with their businesses and supporting their families that actually keeps them well. And then we go to the other side of, okay, so we now have a diagnosis or you're supporting women with one. This is how we go from that route. I would like to ask you one more question, Rachel. And I know that so many people are going to be tuning in and listening to what you have to say. So what advice would you give to someone who is trying to find their path in life? You'll follow your inner guidance system, that gut instinct, get quiet, get as quiet as you can, however you get quiet. So there isn't all buzzing around in your head, but there are oils as we know that help us do this, get quiet and whatever your gut instinct, whatever that little voice is, it's not wrong. I'm going to go as far as saying it's never wrong. Follow it. Follow the intuition. Follow, Follow your that. voice. Your intuition yeah. and your inner guidance system. Yeah, for sure. And if you don't think you have one, you just haven't got quiet enough. Or you're actually hearing it and you're pretending it's not there. Yeah. So guys, I encourage you guys all to get quiet and to listen to your inner guidance system. And I would love for you guys to give us feedback. What do you think about this and discussion we've had today? It's hit on some very, very sensitive, vulnerable topics, and we would love to hear from you. I want to take a moment and thank Rachel so much for coming on here and sharing her story, her journey, being incredibly vulnerable so that me and all of you guys can relate to her, feel empowered by her, feel inspired by her, and want to know more about her. Rachel, where can we find you online and how can we get connected with you? So as I've been talking, um, there are two sides of how I support women. Um, You can find me at Essentially Rachel UK on Instagram, uh, or you can find me at The Cancer Conversations, depending on which part of your world um, any of this resonates or relates to you. So at Essentially Rachel UK to be well and stay well, um, and at The Cancer Conversations 
But those cancer conversations that really need to be had, whether you've had a diagnosis yourself or whether you are supporting other women and you would like to know more about how you can do that on a deeper level and feel a bit more confident. And thank you so much, Rachel, for having me. I have loved talking to you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. The next episode is going to be on the second week of July on Monday. I can't wait to have you all there. I hope you all have a good evening and we will talk to you soon.